I would invite you to take your Bible as we continue in worship and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. And this morning we're in chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, as you're turning there, let me remind you of several important things going on here at Alberta Baptist. Tonight at 6 o'clock we're having an ordination service. We have three men who will be ordained as deacons. Uh, they'll be ordained to serve here at Alberta Baptist. So please come at 6 o'clock and be a part of, of that service. Also, it's November. You know what we do in November? What you, you remember what you do in November. We eat Thanksgiving coming up. November 18th, we're having our church-wide Thanksgiving dinner. And we're asking, uh, our, we're going to cook the main deals here, but if you could help bring cornbread for the cornbread dressing. Now, if you like stuffing, don't bother to bring that, all right? But cornbread dressing. I found that out when I got married. There's a big difference between cornbread dressing and stuffing. And so uh, cornbread's what we're looking for. And we want that at the church here by that Friday on the 16th. And then also that Sunday morning, the, the congregation, we're bringing sides and desserts, okay? But the main portions will be provided by the church. But bring sides and plenty of desserts. Okay? Okay? Okay. All right. Good. I want to make sure you hear me now. All right. Uh, it's interesting. We were singing, and Jennifer always does such a great job with our worship time, but uh, even in the valley, you are faithful. And we sang about for our good and for your glory. Uh, I can't help but think of that. Today, uh, four years ago, the first Sunday of November is when we merged two congregations together. To my knowledge, it had never been done. I know there were books written about it, but I'd never known of two churches who came together as one. And believe it or not, that was four years ago today. Now think about God's glory, God's goodness to us. And uh, I'm just humbled as the former pastor of Open Door to, to uh, think about the people of Alberta Baptist and how you welcomed us and how you brought us into your life to make us a part of your family and how I believe God has united us as family in these four years. And so we're, we're very thankful. <clears throat> and I, I can't say that without saying how patient and how understanding and how gracious you've been to work with two pastors. Again, I don't know of another church that can get, a lot of churches can't get along with one, much less two. And, uh, but I love Kobe Mache being my pastor. And as Pastor Appreciation Month just passed us, uh, Kobe, thank you for being my pastor and serving this congregation so well. And uh, what a joy it is to work to work with him. So, uh, pray, hard, pray hard. That's right, Brother Herbert. Pray hard. All right. Well, let's, if you're with us today for the first time, we began a journey several weeks ago through First and Second Samuel. Uh, we are beginning a journey looking at the kings of the Old Testament and looking primarily at the life of David, but coming to the celebration of the Advent season, which is just a month away. And when we will celebrate the birth of our king, the king who came in a manger the first time, but who's coming as king of kings to reign forever the second time. This morning, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's a very interesting passage verses 1 through 16, and then we'll look at portions of chapter 19 as well. But it's very interesting. And, you know, we ask ourselves, what can we learn from a young boy who plays a harp and a paranoid king who wants to kill him? 
That's kind of an interesting passage, and that's where we're going this morning. But let me just tell you where, again, kind of a review. The nation of Israel had been judged or led by a series of judges. We see that in the book of Judges. Finally, the elders of Israel came to Samuel, who would be the last judge, and they, they weren't real pleased with Samuel's sons and the prospects of what that would look like. So the elders of Israel came to Samuel and said, we want a king. They had several reasons for wanting a king, but primarily, we want to be like the other nations. And that's always a dangerous stance to take in. We want to be like other people. We want to be like them. So we want to be like the other nations. Samuel tried to talk them out of it. Let me tell you what it's going to be like when you get a king. They wouldn't listen. And so when he went to the Lord, God said to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so like God often does, he gave them over. We see that in Romans. God gave them over to their desire. And so God led Samuel to appoint for them a king. The first king was a man named Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, Samuel tells Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily and you will be changed into another man. This is important because that is exactly what happened. The spirit of the Lord came upon Saul mightily. And so Saul became king. He was king many, for many reasons, I guess, but he, one thing, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So they want literally someone we can look up to. But Saul had a great problem. He failed to listen to the Lord. He failed to obey. Because he failed to listen, God rejected him as king. And the Lord sent Samuel, his prophet, the last judge, to find another king. God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. And Jesse began to parade his sons by Samuel and said, this is the one, no, this one, no, this one, no, no. Finally, he ran out of sons. He said, do you have any more sons? Well, there's one more, David. He's the youngest, and he's tending the sheep in the field. So they brought David in, and God anointed David to be king. Samuel anointed him to be king. This king to be was a shepherd boy. And so this little shepherd boy is not yet ascended to the throne. And last week we looked at David when he fought the defiant giant. Remember that? Took him on with a slingshot and five smooth stones. He only needed one. And so David took down Goliath. Now David's popularity, although he's not king on the throne yet, he's been anointed but he's not on the throne yet. But David's popularity is growing and this is a problem for Saul who is still on the throne. So let's pick up our story in chapter 18, verse one. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan, this is Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Saul puts David to work. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. That's a key word, he prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. 
Verse six, it happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, I don't know how to sing this, but I'll give it a try. <clears throat> no, I won't. Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000. Let me read that again. Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David 10,000s, but to me, they've ascribed thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now, it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped. I like that word there. He turned about. He dodged him from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. And he went out and he came in before them. And look at verse 30, the last verse, the last sentence. So his name was highly esteemed. Father, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are always at work around us to accomplish your purposes. God, thank you that you have chosen by your grace to use your people, to use men and women, boys and girls, to accomplish your purposes. God, we pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word. Pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into truth. And God, give us ears to hear and a heart to respond to what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at a couple of things this morning. And the first is very obvious. Number one was that David was favored by God and the people. David was favored. David's name means what? Anybody know what David's name means? Beloved. We got any Davids here this morning? Let me see a David. Got a David? One David here, there, they got a David, they got David, David, David. David, there's, we, you, your name means beloved, Okay. And so David was beloved. He was beloved by God and the people. And so what we see here, because of David's popularity, we see a transition here. We see the beginning of David's reign and also the beginning of the end of Saul's reign. Now Saul's reign actually began to end when he disobeyed the Lord. Kobe taught us about that a couple of weeks ago. Whenever he offered sacrifices he was not uh, authorized to make, he, he didn't do what God told him to do whenever he was dealing with the Malachites, Saul disobeyed God. So that's when his kingdom actually began to end. That was the beginning of the end for Saul. But here we see David growing in popularity. It's interesting, growing in popularity with the people and with God's blessing, God's blessing. It's, I'll take you back to 1 Samuel 16 because this is important for what we're looking at today. 
when Saul, when Samuel, the prophet, when Samuel anointed David, went to Jesse's house like we talked about. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The spirit of the Lord was on David. Look at that in verse 14 and 15. David was prospering, acting wisely in all his ways. You know, we could say he was walking in the spirit. David was controlled by the spirit. Verse 15, he was prospering greatly. Why? Because God's favor was on David and David acted wisely. David was favored by God and the people. David is successful, acting wisely, because the Lord was with him, and everyone, well, with the exception of one, everybody loved David. There was one who didn't, and that was Saul. Saul, number two, was furious about David's popularity. When David was anointed as God's chosen king, church, what happened was there was a transfer of power. Look at verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, with David, but had what? Departed from Saul. Do you see that transfer of power? 1 Samuel 16, 13, when, when Samuel anoints David, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. 1 Samuel chapter 10, when Samuel anointed Saul, I love this. It said the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he was a changed man. But here we see the spirit of the Lord has left, has departed. Look at there again. You see it in verse 12. The spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So what do we see? We see a, a transfer of power. The spirit of God had departed from Saul. When the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, his life began to fall apart. Now look at verse 10. And it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. Now, I don't know about you, but that bothered me. <laughs> to think about an evil spirit from God. Let, let me just, I don't want to get hung up on this, but let me just tell you what I, what I found out. What we find out in the Old Testament is that the Spirit of God operates differently than it does in the New Testament. We know that at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church for the first time and the believers, there were great signs and wonders. But from that point on, the Spirit of God descended and began to dwell in the hearts and lives of believers. Paul told the church at Corinth, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? I mean, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that God's spirit dwells in us. But the spirit of God operated differently in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the spirit would come upon people for special purposes. Uh, for example, in the book of Judges, one of my favorite stories, Samson. Samson's mother was expecting him, so she made a vow for Samson, her babe in the womb. She took the Nazarite vow. She would not touch anything unclean. She would not drink any alcohol, no blade, no, not cut her hair in any way. And so Samson was born under the vow of the Nazarite. So that's how he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. 
So when the Spirit of the Lord came upon mightily upon Samson, he killed, you know, thousands of Philistines. He'd take foxes, tie their tails together, do all the great things that Samson did. And so the Philistines got tired of him killing other people, so they went to his girlfriend, Delilah. Delilah, the big D. I've told you about the four D's of the devil, how the devil works. Doubt, disappointment, despair, and do women. Well, that's how... That's how the devil works in a man's life. But anyway, Delilah sold Samson out, said his secret is his hair. It wasn't because he had great curly hair, but it was because it was a vow to the Lord. And so the Philistines cut his hair, and he, here's the reason I tell that story. Samson wakes up, and he's going to take on the Philistines like he's done so many times. But listen to what Judges 16.20 says. But he did not know. I think this is one of the saddest verses of Scripture. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Mm. He didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. You know, sometimes there are times in our life we get blind and we need people to speak into our life. But there was Samson. So back to, we see the spirit of God coming and going as the Lord purpose. This evil spirit that came upon Saul is consistent with what God did in the Old Testament. Often he would send a spirit of confusion upon his enemies. You remember that? King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20. Oh Lord, we have no, we don't know what to do. You know, we have no might against this great company, but our eyes are upon you. And God said, Don't be afraid or dismayed by reason of this great company. The battle is not yours, but God's. He's outnumbered 185 to one. Kind of like Alabama playing LSU last night. I mean, it wasn't even a fair fight. Okay, and so Jehoshaphat says, what are we going to do? God says, I'm going to take care of you. So he sends an evil spirit or a spirit of confusion to the enemies and they kill themselves. It happens many times in the Old Testament. Judges 9, 23, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. So the spirit of God had left Saul, had departed from him. The throne was being taken away from him. And the spirit of the Lord departed from him. And it seems that some sort of spirit of paranoia comes over Saul in verse 10. We we see in verse 5, initially Saul is pleased with David. Look at verse 5. He set him over the men of war. He made David his commander in chief. Then... He takes it away. He, said, he makes him later on a commander. Verse 13, he appointed him as his commander of a thousand. So Saul's paranoia makes him jealous of David. He takes him away from being the commander in chief and he makes him the commander over a regiment. A thousand men is nothing to sneeze at, but that was a great demotion for David. What changed? One little song changed it all. The women in verse seven saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his, his ten thousands. That song was not meant to belittle Saul, but simply to praise David and to lift him up. But Saul became insanely jealous, insanely jealous. Notice what the scripture says, verse eight, he became very angry. Verse nine, he looked on David with suspicion. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David. 
Verse 15, Saul dreaded David. Let me tell you, all of those emotions, or let me phrase it this way, none of those emotions are healthy emotions. Saul began to desires David demise so badly, it began to consume his life. So he removed him from his presence through the demotion we talked about. Saul was so jealous that he began to want to kill him. At first, Saul did it privately, verse 11. Saul hurled his spear at David twice. David's playing his harp. And can you imagine what was going through David's mind when he saw the spear coming at him from the king? David was a young man, very agile. He dodged the spear. Now, I don't know about you, but what would you do if somebody threw a spear at you? You know, my first reaction would be to throw it back. Or here's David. You know, he was packing. He had his sling and his five rocks, I'm sure. I mean, he could have done a Goliath on Saul and we'd have never heard of Saul again. But what did David do? He dodged the spear twice. We, we grew up playing dodgeball. He, David played dodge spear. I mean, he does it again in chapter 19. He was very agile. The king could not pin him to the wall. And David never retaliated. David dodged it and kept on playing and singing. How many times he did that, we really don't know. But Saul was trying to destroy David. Next we see in verse 17, he sent David to kill a, th a hundred Philistines. He said, you can have my daughter if you bring me back the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. Go kill them. And so David went out and killed 200. He still didn't get the girl. Verse 17, Saul finds out that his daughter Micah, Micah is in love with David. Verse 17, Again, verse 17 talks about the Philistines. For Saul thought, my hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Saul was thinking, I'll let the Philistines do my dirty work. So David kills 200. Verse 21 is where Saul is happy when he finds out that his daughter Michael is in love with David. When I look at verse 21, so that she may become a snare to him. Now, I'm telling you all this just to tell you how much Saul hated David. He wanted to get rid of him. So these are, these are his private schemes. But look at chapter 19, verse 1. Now, Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. He goes public with his jealous anger. What's my point? Abraham Lincoln said this, you can tell the greatness of a man by what makes him angry. Think about that for just a minute. You can tell the greatness of a man by what makes him angry. And tell you, church, there's some things that ought to make us angry. But if we're like Saul and we become angry over the success of another, we got a problem. It's a small person who becomes angry over someone else's success. And Saul allowed this anger to dominate his life, this bitterness to dominate his life to the point it led to his downfall. And we all know people who refuse to forgive. 
I've said this many times, forgiveness is the hardest thing Christ ever asked us to do. We're more like Jesus when we're forgiving than anything else we do. We've been hurt. We've been jealous. We've, been, we've become angry. We've become vindictive. And that anger begins to destroy us. It was Booker T. Washington who said, I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. You know, our anger is a choice. Our hatred is a choice. Our bitterness is a choice. I like what Steve Farrar said. He said, bitterness is a match that only burns the one who holds it. Can you see with me this morning how Saul allowed anger to destroy his life? He became consumed with David. Unlike Booker T. Washington, Saul allowed anger, hatred to degrade and narrow his soul. But notice how David responded. He continued, continued to honor Saul as king. Let me ask you, anybody been throwing any spears at you lately? <laughs> Our natural reaction is to throw them back. Natural reaction is to defend ourselves, to defend ourselves. Nobody ever wins a spear throwing contest, I can tell you that. If we want to be like Christ, who, while being reviled, did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Amen. Jesus refused to retaliate. David refused to retaliate because he trusted God and God's purposes. Don't lower yourself into getting in spear-throwing contests. Nobody ever wins those. Sometimes those are verbal spears, emotional spears. Saul was angry and he couldn't let it go. In the next 12 chapters document his efforts to get rid of David. And he was never successful in getting rid of David. Why? Because number three, God was faithful in David's protection. Chapter 19 gives us four different episodes in David's life of God I believe, supernaturally protecting him. We won't read them verse by verse, but in one, verses one through seven, Jonathan, the king's own son, persuades Saul not to kill David. Verses eight through 10, David plays Dodge spear one more time. The third time, he does it again. Saul throws a spear at him. Verse 11 through 17, the Lord uses Saul's daughter, Michael, to deliver David, she stuffs the bed, makes it look like David's in there sick whenever uh, Saul's hit squad comes to his house. She protects her husband. Verses 18 through 24, this is interesting. Saul sent his hit squad again after David at Ramah. David had gone there to hide out with Samuel. But when Saul's men got to Ramah, we see this in verse 20. Look at 1920. Then Saul sent messengers to take David but when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. Our charismatic brethren would say they got slain in the Spirit. Something, God just intervened supernaturally. So God was continually delivering David from the hand of Saul. David's popularity was a problem to Saul but it wasn't to, to Jonathan, and it wasn't to Michael. Jonathan, verse 4, chapter 19, 
This is, this is a great story. Jonathan gives David, excuse me, in chapter 18, we read that initially. This is where Jonathan gives David his robe and his armor. Let me tell you, this is very surprising and very significant. What was Jonathan doing? Jonathan, by giving his robe and his armor to David, Jonathan was renouncing his right to become king. And he was transferring that right to David. Now, very few, if any, in that day would do this. And how about today? How many of us would willingly sacrifice the things that we're entitled to, that are ours to be inherited or by right? You know, we, we talk a lot about our rights today. Jonathan had a right to ascend to the throne, but he willingly surrendered that to David. You know, much has been said about this Jonathan and David friendship. And I just want to take a minute for us to talk about that today because Proverbs says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. True friendship. I read this quote, he's a youth pastor. The guy's name's Jason Gaston. I have no idea who he is. But it says this. He says, we've given up on relationships with real people and distance ourselves from real community. And he reformed our lives around the online community because it's there that we have control over how much someone can actually know about us. I've heard a lot of people concerned about this. You know, we, we have so many online relationships that we have very few personal face-to-face -face relationships. This youth pastor goes on to say, for some of us, it scares the living daylights out of us to think that someone could know us intimately. And that's the reason why we've never taken a step to get plugged into a small group. I guess they got life groups like we do. But a small group can be a Sunday school class. A small group can be a little coffee club. A small group can be just meeting with your neighbor. It scares the daylights out of some people to let their guard down enough for other people to know who they really are. Jonathan loved David. Jonathan took a great risk. Jonathan had a relationship with David. He could not possibly get anything out of it, but he was willing to give. That's what true friends are all about, as we'll see in just a minute. Steve Farrar says this. He says that in finishing strong, having a few close friends is one of the keys for men. He says it real quickly. Stay close to a friend who loves you enough to tell you when you're messing up. Do you have a friend like that? who loves you enough to tell you when you're messing up? One of the primary ways that the enemy keeps a guy from finishing strong is isolation. Instead of being close to anyone, you become distant. Instead of being gut level honest, you begin to shade the truth. And listen to this. Instead of following Christ, you begin to act like you're following Christ. And there's a big difference. We need accountability. Farrar concludes, the truth is that when you and I desperately, the truth is that you and I desperately need a few good friends. Friends with whom we can share failure as well as success. Friends who are there when times are good and when times are bad. I think we would miss a great opportunity of studying 1 Samuel and looking at the life of Jonathan David 
if we didn't take a minute to evaluate our relationships, our relationships, friendships, do we, your friendships take effort. We have to work at them. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So I think David and Jonathan's relationship speaks to us today. Well, David was a forerunner of Jesus in many ways. It's interesting, Jesus said this in Matthew 10, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You know, that's what we find in Saul's relationship with Michael and with Jonathan, his own daughter, his own son. They were hiding the enemy. But let me tell you the reality for us today, because of Jesus, our King, some of you will go home to a hostile environment. You got a mother who doesn't like you. You got a father who doesn't trust you. Maybe you got a spouse who's suspicious about you because of your relationship with Christ. Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace, but a sword, a sword. Jesus may be an issue in your family. How do we handle that? Do we throw the spears back? No. Do we work hard to defend ourselves? No. We trust God. We trust God. God is at work all around us. And then what we see from this story is I wrap it up. Christ is a fulfillment of God's plan. Noah read a while ago, Psalm 2. In this Psalm, God promises a king. <clears throat> he said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. God said, your son, my son is going to be the one who's going to come as a king and the very nations will be controlled by him. Verse 12 of Psalm 2, how blessed are those who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 promises a king that would come. We celebrate his advent, his coming in the month of December. The New Testament tells us that this king did come and he was a king who came like no other king. He is truly the favored king. He gave up the glories of heaven for us. Jonathan gave up his right to become king. Jesus, the scripture says, became 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I mean, it was unheard of for Jonathan to give up his right to the throne for David. But think of what Jesus has done for us. He gave up the riches of heaven. He became poor for us so that we might become rich. And Paul says he did it by grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I pray that as you sit here today at Alberta Baptist Church, that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. He was a king who gave up the glories of heaven to take on not only the poverty of man, but to die on a cross. Jesus, in that exchange with Jonathan and David, I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's that miraculous exchange. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness so that we can stand before 
God. We also see that this king, he gave up the glories of heaven for us. He was delivered up to die for our sin. Our praise team read this while ago, Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. God supernaturally protected David from spears, from Philistines, from all types of enemies, from lions and bears. But his son, Jesus, God delivered him over for us all. God protected David from his enemies. Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. You understand that? That's the gospel. That's grace. Paul said in Romans 10, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus died for our sin, as we will celebrate in just a moment. And he offers us his righteousness, having justified us by his blood. But here's, here's as they say, the kicker. <laughs> Not only does he justify us, he calls us his friends. Amen. We think about Jonathan and David, what a friendship. But Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves, but I have called you friends. This morning, don't you know you are rich in Christ? God, Jesus left the riches of heaven, became poor so that we might be rich in him. You are rich in Christ. And in Christ, you are loved. Loved as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Father, thank you for the message.